0: the message this morning, and what I want you to do is we're going to eventually get to the Gospel of John, but I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in the book of Acts. We're going to look at a story. We're going to look at an account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Children, if you want to know what a eunuch is, talk to your parents after the service. They will let you know. I don't want to go into an explanation this morning about that so acts chapter 8 verse 26 okay there we go all right ipad stop doing what you're doing here and there we go acts chapter 8 verse 26 this is an account of paul i mean sorry of philip and the ethiopian eunuch Let's pick up in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep So here you have an Ethiopian. He's not a Christian. He is religious. He's gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festivals. He's on his way back. He's riding in his chariot. Back then, they would often read out loud. We often read silently, and so he's sitting in his chariot. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah out loud. The Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to the chariot, go near to him, and ask him a very simple question. So what does Philip ask him? Do you understand what you're reading? And what does the Ethiopian say? I have no clue what I'm reading. Paraphrase. Notice what he says there. He says in verse 31, How can I unless someone guides me? He needed to be guided. He needed to be taught. On his own, this lost man... No matter how many times he read the book of Isaiah, he wasn't getting it. He couldn't understand. He needed someone to guide him. And so Philip says, this is Isaiah 53. This is about Jesus. This is about the Lamb of God that was slaughtered. So let me ask you the problem. Is the problem with the Bible or is the problem with us? The, us. Okay, good. If you say the problem's with the Bible, we, in Houston we have a problem. Okay, The Bible is God's truth without any mixture of error. It's God's perfect treasure. So the issue is not the Bible. The issue is with us. Now, this story here is about a lost person. It's about a person that doesn't have Christ, about a person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit in them. So we can understand how a lost person cannot understand the Bible. But let me ask you a question for those of you that are believers, those of you that do have the Holy Spirit, those of you that have trusted Christ for salvation, have you ever had one of those times when you're reading the Bible and you come across the passage and you just scratch your head and say, what in the world am I reading? I have no clue what this means. It's fuzzy. It's confusing. And so let me ask the question again. Is the problem with the Bible or is the problem with us? The problem is with us. So, this Ethiopian needs someone to guide him. Pay close attention to that word guide. Guide him. He needs someone to guide him. In the same way, we need someone to guide us when we read the scriptures. So with that as a background, a little story about how somebody needed help to understand the scriptures, let's go into our text for this morning, John chapter 16. This is the third sermon we're doing in this little mini sermon series on the role of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, the first thing we saw about the Holy Spirit is that he's going to empower us to witness. He's going to give us boldness in a hostile culture. Last week we saw that his role was to convict the world in relation to sin and righteousness and judgment. And today we get to the third role of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so let's pick up in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. John 16, 12 through 15. This is Jesus speaking. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now here's the main point of these brief passages of Scripture as far as the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the glories of Christ and how does He do that? By means of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit reveals... The glories of Christ by means of the scriptures. Now, look at verse 12. I find it very funny. Jesus says to his disciples, I have a lot of things I want to tell you, but you just can't handle them right now. It's like they've been drinking through a fire hose and Jesus understands their limitations and he knows that they've been getting all this information. Now, let's remember the context. This entire discussion starts way back in chapter 13, where Jesus washes their feet. You remember? Okay, so Jesus washes their feet. Judas leaves. John chapter 14, Jesus gives a bunch of teaching. John chapter 15, Jesus gives a bunch of teaching. John chapter 16, Jesus gives a bunch of teaching. How many weeks have we been exploring these passages of Scripture? All the way back into the spring. Three or four months has taken us to digest this material. It's taken about four or five hours for the disciples to digest this material. And Jesus knows their limitations. He knows they're spent. He knows they've had enough. He says, right now, you can't handle any more. Some of you teachers understand that. When you've taught to the limit and your students are fidgeting, he's like, okay, we're done. Class, I can't go any further. We're done. So in a sense... Jesus leaves his teaching incomplete. He doesn't finish what he wants to tell them. He says, you can't handle it right now. But Jesus promises to finish it. Jesus himself will not finish it. But what's he going to do? He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Look at it. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit What's the Holy Spirit going to do? He will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit's going to guide them. Same Greek word that was used in Acts to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch. He needed to be guided. The Holy Spirit's going to guide them. The word guide means to lead, to direct, to to pioneer, to show someone the way. Okay, think about Jesus for a moment. Where else have we heard Jesus being the way, the truth, the life? Anybody remember that? In the same conversation, right? John 14, 6. In the same conversation, all the stuff that these disciples have been hearing, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Holy Spirit's going to complete this teaching. But I want you to pay careful attention to the wording, and you can see it in your English translations. Look at verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. There's a definite article there in the original language, the truth. Not some truths, but the truth. Now, is the Holy Spirit going to teach them everything under the sun? Is the Holy Spirit going to teach you how to shoot a free throw? Some of you hope so. Is the Holy Spirit going to teach you how to change a flat tire? Is he going to teach you about astrophysics, quantum mechanics, nuclear medicine? No, the Holy Spirit going to lead them into a truth that's very specific. It's the truth, but what is the truth about? It's the truth about the glories of Christ. Notice how specific Jesus says is going to happen there verse 13 when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth the truth what truth for he will not speak on his own but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come verse 14 he will glorify me what's the truth the truth is about the glories of christ he will glorify me he will take what is mine what belongs to jesus and declare it to you. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said the Father will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the truth that the Holy Spirit's going to declare, the truth the Holy Spirit's going to disclose are the glories of Christ. Who Christ is. What is Christ? Who He is. All that, that Jesus is. The sum total of the glories of Christ. The Holy Spirit's going to communicate that. He's going to guide them into that. Now, this has been the desire of God's people from the very beginning, to be guided into truth. If you go back and read the Psalms, the psalmist expressed this deep, heartfelt desire to be led, to be taught into the truth. Listen to some of these psalms. Psalm 25. 4 through 5 Listen to the desire of the psalmist Make n- make to me make me to know your ways O Lord teach me your paths lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for you I wait all day long teach me lead me the psalmist says Psalm 86:11 Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Teach me. I want to walk in your truth. Lead me. Teach me. Guide me into the truth. Psalm 143.10 Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Uh, Do you see the refrain that the psalmist have? Holy Spirit, I want you to teach me. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want to walk in the truth. I want to know the truth. I want to know God's ways. I want to have a heart for God. And and I need you to teach me. I find it very interesting. The desperation that these psalmists have in wanting God to lead them, to guide them, to teach them. Why do we want God to teach us and lead us and guide us? Well, I can tell you why from personal experience. We get lazy at times. We get confused at times. We're blinded by our own sin. Do you realize when you come to this book, you automatically bring prejudice and biases that you may not even know that you have? Sometimes when you come to the Bible, you do not have a predetermined uh, proclivity to obey what it says. You're half-hearted, you're half-hazard. It's lackadaisical in its approach to reading the Bible. So this desire that the psalmist have should be our desires. Lord, teach me. I am clueless. I'm confused. I want to know your word. I want to know your book. I want to know this, but I have limitations. Guide me. Well, Jesus promises that. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will guide them into the truth. So, Jesus promises it, but we've got to ask a deeper question. How? How will the Holy Spirit guide us into all the truth? How is the Holy Spirit going to glorify Christ? And how is he going to disclose to these disciples what belongs to Jesus? Now we need to understand something very important. In this passage of scripture, there is a promise that is specific only to the original 11 disciples. It's a promise we don't get. It's a promise not for us. It's a promise for these men. Who's in the audience that Jesus is talking to? Peter, John, Matthew. These men and others would have the sole privilege of actually writing down scripture the promise for these men in particular is that the holy spirit would guide them in the actual writing of the bible but god breathes scripture so we can say it like this there's a promise immediately in this passage for these men and it's this promise the holy spirit will reveal the glories of christ by means of the inspiration of Scripture. You and I don't get that promise. We don't get to write scripture. We don't get to write inspired scripture. This is a, a closed book. But these men, these men are going to write down the Bible. Now, how are they going to do that? Are they going to pull their ignorance and sit in a room and say, hey, let's make up some good ideas of what would be exciting to write about? Peter, you got any good ideas? I don't know about you, John. Let's, let's figure some things out here. How are these men going to write the truth? If the Holy Spirit promises to guide them into all truth, and they're actually going to write the truth, how did it happen? Well, Peter tells us how Scripture came about. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 20-21, Peter says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. By whom? The Holy Spirit. So what is Peter saying? You know, we didn't make this stuff up. We were eyewitnesses. We saw it. And there came a moment in time where the Holy Spirit moved upon our hearts and our minds to give us the exact words to say, to bring to remembrance the truth, so that we could write down Scripture not a product of our own imagination not a product of our own purposes or will but what the holy spirit was guiding us to say that's why paul can say in second timothy 3:16 all scripture is breathed out by god and is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction And training in righteousness. So these men in particular would be given the supernatural ability to write down an inerrant, infallible, inspired, God breathed scripture. And this supernatural ability would come from none other than the Holy Spirit Himself, who would guide them into all the truth, especially the truth about Christ, so that they could write it down. Now, let me ask you a very simple question. You may not have ever thought about this, but you intuitively know it. Is the New Testament? in a way, broken up into three different parts. Or let me ask it a different way. Is Matthew the same type of literature as Romans? Is Philippians the same type of literature as Revelation? You say, no. We have three parts to the New Testament. The first part we have is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. What is that? That's narrative. That's the story, the account The historical record of the death, burial, life, resurrection of Christ in the early church. It's what we call narrative. It's meant to be read as as, as like an unfolding story. Second part of the Bible. Romans through Jude. Those are called the letters. The epistles. Those are different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Those aren't stories. Those are doctrinal uh, letters that have theology in it. They're meant to be read differently. Okay, what's the last part of the Bible that we have in the New Testament? What's the last book? Revelation. Revelation is apocalyptic. Revelation talks about things that are related to the future. Now, let me just show you how the Holy Spirit is going to guide these men to write the Bible. Go back to John 14:26 for a moment. Just flip over a couple pages because Jesus has already promised this once, but let's just go back to John 14:26. Jesus says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what? All that I have said to you. Okay. All that Jesus said, all that Jesus did, all the stories about Jesus. What do we call that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. How's the Holy Spirit going to guide these men? He's going to bring remembrance to all that Jesus said so they can write Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the early church. Okay, let's go back to our main text John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all what? The truth. Romans through Jude. The truth, the theology. The unpacking of the application and implications of the the Gospels in the early church. Okay, so you've got what Jesus said and did, and the early church did, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the body of truth, Romans through Jude. Okay, then what's left? Revelation. What does Jesus say is going to happen? Look at verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you what? The things that are to come. Revelation. Matthew, the Revelation, the Holy Spirit would guide these men to supernaturally be able to write the New Testament. And it would all be about Jesus. The glories of Christ. Just a side note, in case you didn't get this, the Bible's not about you. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about Christ and the glories of Christ and who Christ is. Now, we find ourselves in that story, but a lot of pastors and a lot of churches make the Bible about you. It's first and foremost about God and his glory and Christ and his story, and you fit into that in a glorious way but it's all about the glories of Christ because what does Jesus Jesus say the Holy Spirit's going to do verse 14 he will glorify me so the first way that the Holy Spirit's going to guide these men in particular just these men is to write the scriptures you're not going to write scriptures we've got a closed canon we've got a complete sufficient scripture for revelation it's done there's nothing to be added to this you don't add to it you don't subtract to it this is the written sufficient scripture scripture But, there is a second way the Holy Spirit guides us, we're talking about us now, into all the truth. Here's the second way he does this. The Holy Spirit will reveal the glories of Christ by means of the illumination of Scripture. For the disciples, it was the inspiration of Scripture the writing of it, the God-breathed writing of it. For us, it's the illumination of Scripture. Now, you may ask, what is the illumination of Scripture? What do we mean by illumination? Remember when I asked you earlier about those times when you read the Bible and you didn't quite understand it? You scratched your head? Illumination is when the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to understand it. Okay? If I were to turn off the lights in here, what would it be? It would be dark, right? And if we turn the lights on, what would we call that? Illumination. Lights are called what? They illuminate. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, it's like we're in the dark, even as Christians. And the Holy Spirit comes in the internal witness of his presence in us and gives us insight into what we're reading. Robert Raymond is a theologian that gives a pretty good illustration of this. For some of you that remember this, now those of you that are under 30, you may not remember this, but back in the old days, I'm not even that old. When, there were, when you actually listened to the radio, like before Sirius XM or Pandora? and, and You remember the old days when you would, you would have to punch in the numbers or you'd have to turn the dial? And what happened when you were waiting to get to the dial? Static, right? Okay. So if you wanted to get to a radio station, they were transmitting on, let's say, like 105.7 or whatever. They were transmitting, okay? But if you weren't getting to the dial and you got all that static, you had to get to that particular, that particular station. Now, what was the problem? Was the problem with your radio or was the problem with the transmitter? The radio station was transmitting whether you got to it or not. You got through all the static, and then you finally, what? Your receiver got to the right channel. Here's what he says as the illustration. The Bible's like the transmitter. It's always accurate. It's always going to be on air. It's going to be perfect. The problem is with our receivers. Sometimes it's staticky. The Holy Spirit's the one that gets the static over and puts it on the right channel so that when we punch it in, it comes up with the right thing. You can't do that on your own. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Louis Burkhoff, um, I think his systematic theology is probably the best uh, that I I think of, Um, but he says this. He defines illumination this way. He says, The Spirit renews the spiritual darkness of the understanding and illumines the heart So that the glory of God in Christ is clearly seen. Now, notice what the Holy Spirit is going to do here. Verse 14, He will what? Glorify Jesus. J.I. Packer gives a great illustration of the role of the Holy Spirit in glorifying Christ. Let's pretend like it's a wintry, blustery, cold, icy day in northeastern Colorado. Now some of you are like, I can't wait for those days because it's been 105 or whatever. Don't want winter to come yet. But let's just say it's a wintry day, and you're walking outside this building, and there's no light, and it's pitch black. It's pretty dangerous, right? But what happens if there's a floodlight behind the building that's shining onto your path? Are you most concerned with the floodlight, or are you most concerned with what's in front of you in the path? Are you looking at the floodlight, or are you looking at the path? You're looking at the path, right? Because you want to make sure you don't slip. But what happens if the floodlight's not there? You're in the dark. So the floodlight's in the background shining on your path and the floodlight says, don't look at me, look at the path. J.I. Packer says, the Holy Spirit's like a floodlight. He's in the background shining all of the glory on Jesus and the Holy Spirit never says, look at me, look at me. The Holy Spirit always says, look at Christ, look at Christ, look at Christ. Now, The Holy Spirit's indispensable because without Him, we would not be able to see Christ. And so the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ before our eyes. And so here's what illumination means. Not only does the Holy Spirit come into your heart and mind and convince you that this word is true, but He also inflames your heart to worship Jesus when you see Him there. It's more than just cognitive. I can understand what I'm seeing. It's oh my goodness, I'm seeing Christ. I'm seeing the glories of Christ. I'm reading about the glories of God. And this is inflaming my heart. It's not only enlightening my mind, but it's inflaming my heart to want to worship Jesus even more. I can't get enough of him because the Holy Spirit's showing me things I've never seen before about Jesus in the written word. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 2, 9-12, through But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard Nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, But the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. That's illumination. You want to know the stuff that God has given you freely. You want to understand the truth. You want to understand the glories of the gospel. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand that deeper and deeper. The problem's not in the Word. Remember the problem's with us. We need that help. And the glories and the beauties and the majesties of Christ come to life in our minds and our hearts when we begin to read the word because the Holy Spirit's giving illumination. Now that doesn't happen to lost people. Lost people can't. Paul goes on to say in that same passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person, that's a lost person, an unregenerate person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. They're folly to him. They don't make sense. He's not even able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You know, a lost person, a person without Jesus, can read their Bibles. And they can can track with what the Bible's saying. They may even understand some concepts. They can maybe even regurgitate to you some historical facts. They may understand it cognitively, but they don't submit themselves to it and worship Jesus because the Bible says they can't. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes and invades your heart, when the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates you, He gives you a new nature. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new eyes to be able to see. And because you're still a sinner and you still have baggage and you still have prejudices, every time you read this word, you need the Holy Spirit to give you that illumination. Now, what are the implications of this for you and me? None of us are ever going to write scripture, but every single one of you are going to read your Bibles and hopefully you're going to sin under teaching and preaching. So let me suggest to you three applications. Here's the first. First of all, do you pray for the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to guide you in your personal Bible reading? Do you pray for yourself? Listen to Psalm 119:18. This should be a this should be a psalm that's memorized every time you open your Bible. This is the the verse I go to every time I open my Bible. Psalm 119, 18. The psalmist says this Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So when I sit down to read my Bible, whether it's for sermon prep, whether it's for quiet time, whatever it is, before I even read, I pray this prayer. This is just me, but I'll give you an example. Father, I'm coming to you today. I'm sleepy, I'm confused. I'm muddle-headed at times, and I'm about to read your word. And i won't take for granted I'm going to be able to understand it. So Holy Spirit, would you please open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in this law. Holy Spirit, would you give me insight into what I'm reading so that I can understand it. Do you pray like that? Do you pray for yourself like that? What this means is, and this is an exciting thing, You don't have to have a seminary degree or a Bible college degree to understand this word. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. If you never go to seminary, if you never go to Bible school, you can understand Scripture if you just take the time to pray through it, to read it carefully, to ask for illumination. You can do it. You probably had that experience before, haven't you? Maybe you've read a passage, like you've gone through John thousands of times, and then all of a sudden you come to this one verse, and you've read it a million times before, but that one time you read it, you're like, Wow! I never saw that before. You mean that was there all the time? Yeah, it was. The problem's not the Bible, the problem's you. I'm seeing this in a new light. I'm seeing this in a new way. I never noticed that verse before. That's illumination. The Bible hasn't changed. It's always been the same. The Holy Spirit gives you an insight that you never saw before into the written word. That's called illumination. And you should be praying for that light every time you read. Listen to what Martin Luther said. He says that the Holy Scriptures cannot be penetrated by study and talent is most certain. Thank you. It's not by talent. Therefore, the first duty is to begin to pray that he graciously grants you a true understanding of his words. You must therefore completely despair of your own industry and ability and rely solely on the illumination of the Spirit. It's not natural talent. It's not even study at times. It's just you and the Holy Spirit saying, "Will you teach me this word. You know, it's interesting. This just popped into my head. There are people that I've met, especially in India and other places, that have never gone to seminary, never gone to Bible college, but they've read their Bible, read their Bible, read their Bible, read their Bible, and they are greater theologians than a lot of us. Why? They've just spent time in their Bible, and the Holy Spirit's been their teacher. And they're not pastors and they're not they're not leaders. They're just lay people that labor in reading the Bible and they rely upon the Holy Spirit because they have no other resources except for the Holy Spirit. Now let me give you a Charles Spurgeon. I got two Charles Spurgeons in my sermon this morning, so you get two for the price of one. All right, you ready? Here we go. This is funny. It is wonderful how the Holy Spirit can take a fool and make him know the wonders of Christ's dying love. Some of us have been slow learners. Yet the Holy Spirit has been able to teach something even to us. He opens the scriptures, and he also opens our minds. And when there are those two openings together, what a wonderful opening it is. Do you pray for yourself? Here's the second application point. Do you pray for all the teachers at Emmanuel, for the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to guide them in their teaching preparation? We value all of our teachers here at Emmanuel, from those that teach the youngest baby to, to those that teach the oldest senior adult and everybody in between at all stages, men's ministry, women's ministry, children, youth, adults, no matter what format or, or whatever, we pray for the illuminating power of the teacher. So my question is: Are you praying for your growth group leader? Are you praying for your the, the, those that teach your children, those that teach your youth? Are you praying for our women's leaders? our men's? Are you praying for the teachers? Because here's what happens a lot of times in church, and it's not right. Okay, it's what I call pooling your ignorance. Oftentimes we sit around in a circle and we go around. What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? And you get 15 different opinions about what it means to me. No, you don't do that. There's one meaning. There's one meaning. It doesn't matter what it means to you. The teacher needs to come in having done the preparation and the work and spent time asking for the illumination of the Spirit so when that teacher comes in, they're able to say, here's what the text says, and I'm teaching this to you because I've spent time studying it, and the Holy Spirit's given me insights. That's why Paul prayed for this with the, the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, Paul, what are you going to pray for? I'm praying, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Him. That's guiding us into all truth. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, or having the eyes of your hearts open, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So are you praying this for yourself? Open my eyes. May the eyes of my heart be open to your truth. Are you praying this for our teachers? And here's the third thing. Do you pray for me as your pastor? For the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to guide me in my sermon preparation? I'm just going to be very vulnerable here and say, I need your help. I do sermon prep in the mornings, usually. Usually try to spend a lot of times in the original languages, a lot of time studying, praying, trying to figure out what this means, banging my head against the wall sometimes and praying so that when I stand up here on a Sunday morning I have something to say that's not just my opinion but what the text says. And let me just say this is not a product of natural talent or intelligence. It's a supernatural work whereby the Holy Spirit gives us illumination and I need your prayers now let me just address this issue of illumination because i think it can be abused it could be misunderstood it could be confusing this is not what illumination is okay some of you may have seen somebody on youtube or on facebook or, or a televangelist or somebody stand up they don't ever open their bible but for an hour they rant and rave about something that has nothing to do with anything And they claim that they're under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They claim that they're getting utterances. They say they're getting a prophetic word. And they're talking really about nothing or maybe themselves for a full hour. And they never once cracked open their book. But a quote-unquote, they're under the anointing. So they must be being led by the Holy Spirit. What are we to make of those things? We need to remember something. Illumination is not the same as revelation. The apostles received revelation and it became written down. We do not receive revelation. We don't receive anything new. We don't receive anything contradictory to the written word. We receive insight to what's already written down. Okay, So if you come up with an interpretation that's totally different than the written word, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's never going to lead you into an insight that's different than what the written word says. So if somebody stands up and says, this is why the Holy Spirit said this to me, and it's in direct violation of the word, you know the Holy Spirit didn't tell them that. And if they come up and say something that's totally off base about Jesus, you know it's not the Holy Spirit because his job is to glorify Christ. Jonathan Edwards said this, Illumination reveals no new doctrine. It suggests no new propositions to the mind. It teaches no new thing of God or Christ, not taught in the Bible, but only gives us a due comprehension of those things that are already taught in the Word of God. Calvin said this, For as soon as the Spirit is separated from the Word of Christ, the doors open to all kinds of delusions and impostures. Now, some people would say this, If you spend time in the original languages, if you spend time studying, if you spend time doing all the hard work, if you spend time exegeting Scripture, if you spend all these hours in work, that's that's really not relying on the Holy Spirit. What really relying on the Holy Spirit is when you stand up impromptu and just let Him speak through you. That's really relying on the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a passage of Scripture that means something very important to me. First Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I, as your pastor, have been called by God first, and then as you, secondly, under the authority of the other elders to labor and that word labor in the original language means to labor to the point of exhaustion in the preaching and teaching of this word now here's what you need to understand it is through that process that the holy spirit gives illumination i don't wait till i stand up here on sunday morning and say what am i going to say holy spirit bail me out no i spend all week holy spirit what am i going to say Give me insight to what I'm going to say. Help me understand this word. And the Holy Spirit does it. Now, there have been times I've stood up here and I've told you, I don't really know what this passage means. We'll find out when we get to heaven. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit didn't give me insight. And that's okay. But the question is, do you pray for me and for Pastor Andrew, anybody who preaches? And also, when the actual preaching happens... Not just the preparation, but the actual preaching happens. Are you praying even right now in these moments? Are you praying for me that I would be clear? Are you praying for those around you that they would be able to hear? Are you praying that there would be not very many distractions? Are you praying that, that, that all of us would experience the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit? And then more importantly, would Christ be glorified in the preaching of the Word? You see, here's the bottom line. You and I desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to understand the Bible. And to not only understand its truthfulness, but also to respond to it. Have you ever had those moments where you read the Bible and and you all have different... You you come to the Bible and you read different passages, and different passages hit you different ways. Sometimes you're reading the Bible and, man, you're just stung. It moves you to repentance. Other times you read it and you just begin weeping. Other times you read it and you're like, oh, I'm so encouraged. This is encouraging. Other times you're eating, you're like, man, that, that's awesome. I never saw that before. My mind is open to truth. Other times you're so joyful, you just can't contain it. You've got to go tell somebody. Other times you're like, sober mind, like, hmm, I need to think about that more. You see, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Not only is He revealing to you truths, but He's also prompting you to respond. Every truth that is preached, Every truth that is taught, every truth that you read is meant to be responded to. You respond. You don't just sit there and read it and say, take it or leave it. You respond. Now, sometimes that's in repentance. Sometimes that's in faith. It's it's obedience. Whatever the text calls you to do, you respond. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to be able to respond. And oftentimes, it always comes back to the glories of Christ. You see, this book is not an end to itself for you to gain more information. This book is for you to fall more in love with Jesus. And if it doesn't lead you, if you're Bible reading, if you're, if you're teaching ministry, if you're preaching ministry, doesn't lead you to love Jesus more and worship Him more and respond to Him more, then you're, you're falling short of what this word's meant to do. And you need the Holy Spirit to guide you. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me. We all need the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth so we can see the clarity of it And then respond in love to Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes this morning to truth, and you have a deeper love for Jesus, then thank Him that He's done that work in your heart. Thank Him that He's done that supernatural deep work in your heart and your mind to shine that floodlight on Jesus. Because our goal every Sunday is that the spotlight would not be upon me, the spotlight would not be upon you. When we leave this place, where do we want the spotlight on? Jesus. And when the spotlight's on Jesus, it demands a response. How are you going to respond to him? What are you going to do with Christ? Are you going to bow in humility? Are you going to surrender your life? Are you going to repent and believe? Are you going to worship Jesus? How are you going to respond to Jesus? You see, one of the ways we respond to Jesus is through taking his Lord's Supper. And so let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we prepare to commune with the Lord through the Lord's table. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, ask the Holy Spirit to help you respond and understand and thank Jesus that He sent the Holy Spirit to be the Spirit of truth to guide you. Thank him that you have a Bible that you can read and understand. He inspired the men of old to write it. Spend just a few moments in prayer preparing your heart to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. I thank you so much that you are the spirit of truth. And I thank you for all the times that you have opened my heart and mind to see the glories of Christ. Holy Spirit, we would not be saved without your convicting work. We would not be saved without your regenerating work. We would not be holy without your sanctifying work. And we would not understand truth without your illuminating work. So we thank you. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, give us the joy deep in our hearts. Give us the grace. Give us the power to understand truth and respond to it appropriately so that the glories of Christ may be seen clearly before us as you glorify Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.